I will read the Beatitudes for us. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It is the sixth out of eight Beatitudes that Jesus declared when he opened his famous Sermon on the Mount. Eight character traits that describe who those who are truly blessed or those who are truly flourishing in the world are, what they're like. That was what Jesus was doing. And here we come today to the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Have you, um, have you noticed that when some people reach an amazing milestone, uh, think of a political candidate when they win a big election, how they and all of their, you know, their team re just rejoices, you know, tears of joy, shouting, exciting, big party, uh, or even think of a sports team that wins a championship. Think of an athlete that reaches an amazing milestone. Think just, just this past month when um, Eliud Kipchoge uh, from Kenya beat his own record and, and, and became for all time, at least to this point in history, uh, the runner of the fastest marathon. Big deal. Rejoicing, celebration, tears of joy, right? Because these people have focused single-mindedly focused on one goal and maybe for their entire life, right? They have made sacrifices for the sake of this one goal. Their loved ones and people close to them have made great sacrifices for the sake of their one goal that they've single-mindedly been pressing on towards. Well, in a different sense, in a spiritual sense, the Apostle Paul once wrote, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul was a guy, unlike pretty much any athlete you can think of, maybe even any politician you can think of, Paul has had an immense influence on human history. And despite that, his life's work put him in prison near the end of his life. People weren't rejoicing about what Paul had accomplished. The world was forever changed, but Paul was in prison because most people didn't know about him. And some of the people who knew about him didn't like what he was saying and what he was doing. 
So for some folks, you know, think, think of Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee. For some folks who, in that case, those two guys were single-mindedly pursuing the destruction of the one ring. That was their one purpose. That's all they did. That's all they focused on. That's what they pressed on towards. Such focus for some people, if you will, such purity of purpose costs them their reputation, their health, costs them their life in some cases, or their health or their liberty. Think of Martin Luther King Jr. Think of Abraham Lincoln. You can think of many other people. That one goal, that one focus costs them so much and sometimes costs them everything. They press on, though at great risk to themselves. They press on, though at great cost to themselves and the people around them. But, but here's the amazing thing. They press on not for their own benefit. They're not they're not looking for their own reward, their own record. They're pressing on single-mindedly for the good of somebody else. And the most amazing thing is that even some of them press on for the glory of God. Now, these are odd people to the world. The world doesn't know what to make of these people. The world doesn't know what to do with these people, and sometimes the world disposes of them. But to Jesus, they are blessed. Jesus says they are blessed, not for any success that they achieve in this life, not for any admiration they receive. They don't. They don't receive admiration in this life. People don't think they're successful, but Jesus says they're blessed because they desire what is truly great above all else, and they're going to get it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And as you look at the sixth beatitude, I think you will discover this, that those who purely desire God with their heart will one day see him with their eyes. And as we unpack that, I want to talk about three things, what our hearts desire, but what our hearts need also, and then what our hearts will get in the end. What your heart wants what it truly needs, and what it may get. Now, what our hearts desire is complicated and frustrating. Proverbs chapter 20 says that the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. Think of deep water. You can't penetrate it. You can't see through it. It's not easy to truly understand another person, is it? how hard it is to truly understand another person. You may live with them all your life and still not understand them. How hard it is, the Bible says, to even understand yourself. More so, uh, the prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So here's another twist. The Bible attributes the difficulty, the difficulty of understanding our hearts to the wickedness of our hearts. You see that? And to clarify things, the ancients understood the heart in a different way than we do. The, the ancient peoples, and especially in the Bible, when you see the heart, it means more than your emotions and your feelings. It does mean that, but it means more than the emotions and the feelings. In the Bible, the heart means the holistic, per the whole person, the whole inner you, the true you, the secret you, the you that only God knows and maybe you only partially know. Your feelings and emotions, yes, but your thoughts as well, your intellect. 
and your desires, your will. The heart to the ancient people was emotions, intellect, and your will. What drives you in life? What's behind every decision you make? The direction that you're going. So feelings, thoughts, desires. That's the heart. And the heart, the Bible says, is what God most looks at. Once again, Jeremiah chapter 17 continues, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And so what Jesus did in his day and in all of his teachings, and he's doing it right here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turned the religion of his day upside down on its head. Jesus turned religion for all time in all places and all cultures on its head when he began to bring this principle back into light. The idea that the inward motives far outweigh outward appearances. So that he would even say to the religious elites, professionals of his day, the clergy of his day, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he called them. He told them, you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. You look like these beautifully washed pots for eating and drinking and and good religion, but inwardly you are caskets of dead people. You appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, he would say. What a person is on the inside is often not apparent from the outside. And you've experienced this. You've lived it. Bullies, tyrants, egomaniacs. They seem confident and strong and powerful, but inwardly, they're all frightened. They're all scared. They're wounded. They're broken. They've all been hurt. Some of you have experienced a coworker who for many years seemed like a friend, seemed like a partner, and then you discover all that time that person was plotting against you like an enemy, like an opponent. Think of the human heart as if it were a landscape, okay? I'm going to compare two landscapes for you. There's a plane, right? We, we actually call a flat, empty field a plane because you can see everything there. There's nothing hidden from your eyes when you're looking at an open plane. What you see is what you get. But a rolling series of folds in the earth, ripples in the earth, ravines, valleys, cracks. Well, now predators have all sorts of places to hide and sneak up on you. What is truly there is not plain to your eyes. And so the Bible puts the condition of our hearts in the same way as we relate to one another. Proverbs 16 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. The Apostle James put it this way, What causes quarrels and fights among you? It is, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. See, our hearts are complicated internal engines that drive our lives, that dictate our relationships. 
but they are naturally flawed. Complicated driving engines that are naturally flawed in us, driving us toward the wrong desires or driving us toward the right desires, but by the wrong paths, leaving us often frustrated, unsettled, unhappy, and in conflict with each other. If you will, the human soul suffers from spiritual heart disease. And the Bible makes no apology for describing your heart this way. No apology whatsoever. Good medicine tells you what the symptom, interprets the symptoms with an accurate diagnosis if you're going to get better, right? And frankly, the Bible's diagnosis of your spiritual condition, of the heart disease within your soul, makes the most sense out of any system of thinking makes the most sense out of the world in human history and our very lives and how our lives are going right now. But the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Christianity is, is that God gives our hearts what we truly need. Our hearts want all sorts of things, but God gives our hearts what they truly need. God gives our hearts a new desire for better things. So the gospel teaches us that God awakens dead hearts and heals them. The theological word for that is regeneration, new life, new birth within a human soul by the grace of God. And God predicted it through the prophet Ezekiel a long time ago. He said, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. And the author of Hebrews, he puts it this way. Once that happens, once God miraculously, supernaturally replaces your heart of stone with a heart of flesh, your dead, sick heart with a living, beating heart, once that happens, it changes your life. It changes your status before God. It changes your perspective, and it gives you confidence now. And so the author of Hebrews would say, let us draw near, meaning near to God's throne, into God's presence. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. That's ceremonial religious language. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. So when Jesus said the phrase, the pure in heart, he meant those people with a new, single-minded desire for God. Remember what Paul said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. And Jesus is saying they are blessed because they will eventually see, and in ways they now already do see, the God whom they really desire. Augustine of Hippo once said about this passage, that is a pure heart, which is a single heart, a single heart, a person who knows what she wants, a person that desires inwardly God, and a person who's driven by that desire. But it's even more than this. Once a person wants God most, he relates to others better. And the theological expression for this, at least in part, is sanctification. As we grow to become more like the people God has destined us to become, our relationships with one another begin to change for the better. 
John Calvin said of those who are pure in heart that they take no delight in cunning, but converse sincerely with men and express nothing by word or look which they do not feel in their heart. So for this person, someone who is pure in heart, what you see is what you get. Don't you wish people would relate to you that way? What you see is what you get in business, in law, in politics, in your friendships, in your marriage. What you see is what you get. No ulterior motives, nothing hidden. This person, the pure in heart, is consistent inside and out. Consistent. They mean what they say, they do what they say, and what you see reveals the content, the content of what is hidden in their hearts. This is a consistent, honest person inside and out. And that has an impact on the way we relate to one another. And the Apostle Paul shed light on this in his letter to his friend Timothy. He said, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The pure in heart are balanced people whose love for God generates in them a love for their neighbors. So I want to encourage you, especially if you are a Christian, ask God to give you a focused, single-minded, not simple-minded, single-minded, a focused, single-minded desire to seek and love and serve God. That is a promise for anyone with a regenerated heart. It is a promise. David said in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean delight yourself in God and you'll win the lottery. Delight yourself in God and you'll get that promotion and you'll get that house. Delight yourself in God and all of your physical ailments will go away. It says, delight yourself in God and he will give you himself because that's what you're desiring and that is what you will get. And Jesus says, you are blessed. So the heart wants many things but needs most the one thing its creator. Augustine again said, our heart is unquiet until it rests in you. Now be careful, be careful, whatever else you ask for. You hear the expression, be careful what you ask for, you might get it. Be careful whatever else you are asking for because you may get it. God's nature is such that he created us as free beings. But in our freedom, we're poisoned. Our freedom is poisoned because of the wickedness, the deceit, the sickness of our own hearts. We have a spiritual heart disease. We don't beat for God. We're free, but we don't beat for him. We beat for everything else. Our heart beats and longs for anything and anyone and anything else. Jesus Address this when he said in Mark chapter 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? So think of your, all your success stories, all of your lifetime achievement awards, all the joy and wonder, the records, the reputation, the legacy, but what does it profit you if you gain all of that and lose your soul? Woe to you who get all that you want now 
except the one thing that you actually need. But you may be thinking, I, I don't want God. So what? I, I don't want him. Or I kind of want him, but I don't really want him. Or I know I don't want him. Yeah, you're right. You cannot want God. You're spiritually sick. Your heart is unresponsive to him. If you're struggling because you don't want God and you know you don't want God, you're, I'm, I don't have anything good to say to you at the moment. You're right. Your heart cannot beat for him. When David said, we read, this, we read this earlier, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place translation? Who can be with God? Who can be right with God and blessed and at peace forever? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. The Pharisees, they looked like they had clean hands. And Jesus said, your hearts are disgusting. Who can be in the presence of God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. If you're paying attention, you go, that is not me. I don't have clean hands and a pure heart. What are you gonna do, friend? Right? So maybe the room is mostly full of Christians, maybe not. Maybe not everybody here is a Christian. What are you gonna do, friend, if your sick heart gets what it wants and you stand before God with unclean hands, an unclean record, and an unclean heart that he sees right through. He's always known, he's seen everything, he's heard everything, every thought, every half thought. What are you gonna do in his presence when you don't have the one thing you need? Clean hands and a pure heart. Spiritual death is what you're gonna get. Be careful what you ask for, what you seek after in this life, because it will result in spiritual death. Permanent separation from God. Permanent separation and lack of his utter goodness. And you will never see him. You will never know him. Even if you've looked very impressive, even if you've looked very religious, in another place, in another place Jesus says, I'm gonna to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And here's the good news now, okay? So, so you've gotten the diagnosis. Here's the cure. Here's the gospel. What our hearts get is the gift of God's medical intervention. We get something that we don't deserve, and God does it. It's a bit more about that regeneration idea. So there's a, one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, romantic movies I like some. Uh, one of my favorite ones, about 20 years old now, it's, it's the movie Return to Me. And ba basically, uh, to, to put it shortly, Bob Rulin's wife dies at the beginning of the movie. Wonderful woman, she dies, and uh, she's an organ donor, so her heart goes to uh, somebody who is desperately sick, who has heart disease, who's going to die, who's basically on life support, barely able to stay alive. And interestingly enough, this severely ill woman who receives this heart, her name is Grace. And through a series of very remarkable events, Bob and Grace meet. And, and they fall in love with one another. Bob doesn't know that this woman, is, this woman received his deceased, wife, his deceased wife's heart. He has no idea. They fall in love. And eventually, Bob discovers the truth that this woman is, is living with, is carrying his deceased wife's heart. And, and he goes through this 
uh, terrible moment of struggle and, and, and doubt uh, because this is just too much for, for him to bear. He, he, um, he gets past it eventually, but what's interesting is uh, Grace's grandfather, who's her guardian, who loves her very much and raised her, uh, he makes a very profound comment to Bob when Bob is wrestling with the whole thing. He says, he says Grace, when she met you, her heart beat truly for the first time. Perhaps it was meant to be with you always. And the reason I bring that up is to say that your heart was meant to beat for God. This is the, beautiful, this is the beauty and genius, genius and power of Christianity. You can't please God. You can't know God. You can't love God while your heart is beating for everything else. But God reaches down and he performs a transplant so that your heart can beat rightly. And he implants you with a heartbeat for a person. This is the beauty. He doesn't implant you with a heartbeat for an idea, for a system, for rules. He implants you with a new heart that beats for a person. And that person was is an honest man inside and out. The Bible says there was no deceit ever found in his mouth. A single-minded person who pursued God the Father's good plan all his life said to do the will of God is, is like food for me. A man who said, a man who, whose pure, single-minded focused pursuit all his life cost him everything. His pursuit for the will of his heavenly father, his pursuit for you cost Jesus everything. And Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the father. So you know you are among those who are blessed when your heart starts beating for Jesus. And in Jesus, even now, you do see God. And maybe not visibly with your eyes, but even now you perceive him spiritually. Peter says you haven't seen him, but you love him because your hearts are filled with an inexpressible joy because you're receiving the salvation of your souls. So even now, the, the, your, your mind's eye, Okay, your mind's eye perceives the reality of Jesus in all of creation and all that he has made in seeing lives changed by the truth and power of his word in community with his people. You see Jesus at work. You are receiving him. You get him even now and a day is coming like our brother Ken Warzenyak as of 7 a.m. this morning where your faith becomes sight, where you now behold visually and physiologically, you behold, you will behold the desire, the single desire of your heart. You will see him, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, face to face. What you only know now in part, what you only now see vaguely, you will see face to face. Those who purely desire God with their heart will see him with their eyes. So ask for God Ask him to give you a focused, single-minded desire to seek and love and serve his son. 
whether you have been a Christian for a long time and you know your heart struggles after many things or whether you know that you are not walking with God and your desperate sick heart needs resuscitation. Regardless, you can practically ask God exactly the same words that David, the man of God, asked God when, when he discovered the wickedness of his sin. And he said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. That's how the kingdom of heaven works, you know. Uh, the proud and the popular and the mighty, the cruel, the crass, they have no interest for God because they're too distracted. But those who are spiritually poor, those who mourn, those who mourn over the fact that their hearts are sick, those who are meek and humble, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they have purified hearts and their hearts focus on the one whom they will soon see. Jesus, the savior of sinners. Jesus, the author and perfecter, finisher of our faith. Those who are pure in heart know that their hearts were sick and Christ brought their hearts back to life with a beat for him that is greater than any other desire or inclination in them. And as they walk with Jesus up that mountain and down the other end, they discover that their desire for him becomes more and more purified, more and more refined as they continue in their, way, in their race, desiring him above all things so that even as they get off track, oh, there they are again, back where they need to be, pressing on toward the goal to gain the prize of their life with God in heaven. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, I now ask for us, for my friends here, um, those who know you closely and those who are, are not there, who are still considering your son and Christianity, I pray as Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, I pray for us that the eyes of our hearts would be open, that, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we would know the hope that you have called us to, what your glorious riches are, the inheritance that you are keeping for, alls, for all who know you and come to you, aware of their own sickness, wanting your healing touch in their lives. Father, would you open the eyes of our hearts that we would perceive your grace, your son, clearly, even now. Amen.